0: Well welcome everyone, I'm here with my special guest Tony Dungy and uh, we are in a place that I think might be just a little bit familiar to you, at least an environment that is familiar to you. This, uh, for those in the Eugene area would know, this is Autzen Stadium and we get to be on the field today. And uh, I thought it would be an appropriate location to have this interview, well, Tony. one of my
1: favorite places in Eugene. <laughs> well,
0: there you go. So thank you. There you go. So, um, it, you know, so much of your life has has surrounded football and been around football. And you've done really well, obviously. I mean, you, Super Bowl ring as a player, Super Bowl, bowl ring as a coach, the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mean, it's a lot of accomplishment, um, which good job, by the way, way to go. <laughs> thank yeah, you. you've done well. Um, but you know what's interesting to me? My context for you is I've I've got to know you through our neighbors who have since moved to New York. Shout out to Ben and Katie and Carrie, um, and so that's how we got to know each other a little bit during the summers. And and as much as here, here's my observation, and as much as you have those accomplishments regarding football and, and how God has used you in amazing ways, what. It, it would be easy that those things would kind of be at the front of your life all the time. But when I'm around you, it always feels like those things are important, and they're great, but but relationship with God always seems to be at the front of your life. That's what, what I see when I'm with you. And so I thought it would be great for us to have a conversation just about the Father Heart of God. It is Father's Day weekend and how the Father Heart of God has impacted your life, How it is, how you've you've recognized that in your life. And and I was just so excited to hear your thoughts on on the Father Heart of God. And I think starting with with this question, just to give us some context, when it comes to your personal relationship with God, can you give us a little background on how that came to be?
1: Well, it did start with my father and his father. Uh, So I'm really blessed that way. My my grandfather, my dad's dad was a Baptist minister and two of my dad's brothers followed him into the ministry so i had two uncles and a granddad who were were pastors and we were always in in church and kind of grew up that way it's in my blood uh so lived that life growing up my mother was the sunday school teacher (laughs) so she would practice her lessons on thursday night and give them to us and we'd hear them if she got the right reaction she knew she's on the right track if she didn't (laughs) hey i've got to adjust so That's how I grew up, Thursday night Bible stories, Sunday uh, lessons, and I remember at some point, you know, raising my hand, saying, I want to go to heaven, and I want to accept Christ as a little boy, but like a lot of boys, uh, then I became, well, I'm in school, I'm in sports, and sports becomes your, your life, and kind of put Jesus on the back burner for a while. Uh, But I got to the NFL, and that was really the the turning point for me. Uh, My coach uh, was a guy by the name of Chuck Knoll, who was a pretty famous coach in in Pittsburgh. And he told us, don't make football your life. You you come into the NFL, you're going to get paid to play football, but don't make it your life. And that just reflected so much to me of what my mom said, what my grandfather said, what all the men around me said, that you've got to put God first. Matter of fact, my, my mother's favorite verse was, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world, but forfeit his soul? Wow. And so now I'm hearing this coach who's got Super Bowl rings saying, don't don't think this is all there is. You've got to understand a different way to be fulfilled. Football is not going to give you fulfillment. And that's when I really started growing as a Christian at 21 years old.
0: Wow. So that would be a very different perspective, I'm sure, than you were hearing a lot totally. around. The
1: first coach I'd ever heard, you know, say those things. Maybe a lot of coaches thought that. But he said it in the very first meeting. If you make football your entire life, you're gonna be disappointed when you stop playing. You better not do that. You better find a different way to fulfill you. And then I'm around all these Christian guys. Coach Noel put me in a room. My roommate was a guy named Donnie Schell. And the first thing he says to me when I'm unpacking my suitcase, well, what are you reading? So I'm reading the playbook. I'm trying (laughs) to figure out how to make the team, you know? No, no, what are you reading? What are you reading in the Bible? So I'm not really reading anything in the Bible right now. He's like, how, how can you do that? God doesn't speak to you every single day. And so I'm in this room with this guy who's a all-pro safety man, but he's wow. asking me, how did God speak to me today? How does God speak to me yesterday? Wow. And it was just that it turned my life around.
0: God surrounded you.
1: I he surrounded so. me with some strong, strong Christian guys. And... Uh, that, was, that made all the difference in the world to me as a young, impressionable, 21-year-old. I wanted to be like these guys. I'd watch them on TV and they're saying, Hey, that, that's great to come out on this field and do all these things, but eventually you're going to leave this field, so you better be ready. Wow,
0: that's amazing. Now, how, did, how does that uh, translate then? You're, you're a player and then, and then a coach. How do you see that love, that relationship with God expressed there?
1: For me, I wanted to transmit everything I learned from my dad and my granddad and my uncles and my mom, and I wanted to transmit that to other people. Uh, When I first started coaching, I wasn't married and I didn't have kids, so my players became that group. They were family. Yeah, they were my family, my my eight guys that I coached, my eight defensive backs with the Steelers. I want to give you this information that, that I'm getting. And then as I got married, and we started having kids, then you want to transmit that to everyone else. And that was really my my little cocoon at first, my family and my players. Well, then you become a head coach and you've got a bigger platform and more people and people ask you to speak at events and different things and they want to hear from you. Uh, My platform kind of expanded, but the, the message was still the same, that you have to honor God you have to decide who you're going to follow in this world. Are you going to follow all this? Or are you going to follow him?
0: Yeah. How, how did you navigate those pressures? I mean, I would imagine there's a lot of pull
1: different ways. There was a lot of pressure and a lot of pull. And being a Christian at that time in the 70s in the NFL, it wasn't like it is now. It wasn't quite as accepted. Uh, we had a strong group of guys, but there was still this faction that said hey, this is a rough tough game It's a man sport and if too much of that Christianity seeks seeks <laughs> seeps in You're not going to be able to do your job yeah. And there were a lot of people who thought that and fortunately I went to a team where we had a lot of Christian guys who were doing their job very well and still very strong and bold about their faith. so that helped me um, and I uh, I kind of grew. I grew in boldness. I grew in in the comfort of of who I was as a a Christian athlete. How did that
0: work when you became as as the coaching became a bigger part and you're expressing the father heart of God but there's uh, I imagine it's a bit of a tight rope walk how to do that. It was in
1: the NFL. It certainly was and uh, as I was a young assistant coach and my players were doing well and I'd have some players excel. People say oh this guy's a really good coach. Well now you become the defensive coordinator and you're you've got thirty guys instead of six or seven and now you're a head coaching candidate and how can you kinda handle the whole team and what's your what's your response gonna be? And then people, well I don't know if that's really what we want as a as a head coach. I don't know if that's what we want leading our team and so many owners. Are you gonna be tough enough? Are you gonna be demanding enough mm-hmm. because you don't raise your voice, you don't yell yeah. and scream, you're not the guy that we were used to seeing, Not up in their face all the time. And uh, I remember one interview I had with with an owner and it was going really well and then he asked me at the end, he said, I've done a lot of research on you. I know you don't use profanity. You don't really yell. That's what I've heard. We got a lot of testosterone in our building. How are you going to handle these guys and how are you going to get them to follow you? And I told him I'm gonna do it just like my dad got me to follow him. My dad proved to me that he really loved me and he cared about me. He also proved that he knew what he was doing. So I followed my dad because I wanted to please him. And I think that's the relationship I have with these guys. And he looked at me and he said, I don't think that'll work in the NFL. (laughs) <laughs> and he didn't hire me. And he didn't hire you. So I'm, now I go Everybody back to, kind of to Minnesota. Well, I, I did see him uh, <laughs> later on a few times, and I said, yeah, I told you it could work. But uh, I went back to Minnesota, and I remember talking to our chaplain and saying, You know, so many people are telling me if I want to be a head coach, I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to protect, project a different image. Oh. And he said, Don't worry about that. Follow, follow the Lord yeah. and go where the Lord takes you. Yeah. And don't don't worry about being something you're not and uh, it was great advice Uh, so the next year i got interviewed in tampa and i told malcolm glazer the owner of the bucks that exact same story i said this is how i'm going to do it and he said that's how i raise my boys and that's what i'm looking for
0: wow wow i got the job i mean it seems like so much of that is the Father Heart of God working through you? If you're talking about, I I want these folks to know that I care about them and that I actually know where we're headed. I mean, that is so much of the Father Heart of God. It
1: really is. Showing people that you've got their best interest at heart and that you've got a plan. uh, And if we all stay together and we follow the plan, we're we're gonna succeed. And that's what God does for us. And that's what I wanted to do for my team. And that's what I wanted to do for my family.
0: It's It's a servant.
1: Role, isn't it really? It really what you're is. Describing. It really is. When I, my first coaching position with Coach Noel, I, I played two years, I got traded, then I, he hired me back on the staff. I was 25 years old, youngest <laughs> assistant coach in the NFL. <laughs> and I went to him and I said, hey, I appreciate the job and everything, but what am I supposed to do? What, what does a coach do? <laughs> and he told me something I'll never ever forget and it shaped me the rest of my 30 years in, in coaching. He said, your job as a coach is to help your players play better. And as soon as he said that, it hit me and I realized why I loved him so much and why he was such an effective coach because he didn't think of himself as the boss. He didn't think of himself as in charge or I've got all these great plans. I've got to help everybody be the best they can be. And I said, well, what does that mean? He said, you've got to get to know every one of your players. You've got to figure out what they're good at, what they're a little weak at you've got to figure out what makes them tick, and then you've got to help them. So you've got to have an individual game plan for each player. You can't say it's my way or the highway because you're not helping yourself, you're helping all these other guys. Yeah. And man, when he said that, I was just like my dad. My dad used to, he was a teacher, and he felt like his job was to help every student get an A. So I've got to figure out what Aaron needs to get an A. It's going to take a lot work. out here for me, by the way.
0: That's, gonna, that's some coaching you're going to have to do. But yeah, we well, can get to was, work. That
1: was his thing. How do <laughs> I help every single student? So I can't just teach off of one syllabus because that might not help you or that yeah. might not help this student over here. I've got to figure out what you need. Yeah. And so my thought in coaching then was from that moment on was I've got to get to know each and every one of my players and figure out what they really need to be the best that they can be on and off the field. Yeah. Because again, I didn't want them just to be great players. I wanted them to be great men and yeah. grow and learn about the Lord and, and everything. So uh, that was my challenge for the next 28 years.
0: Wow, and obviously God met you in that. And he helped me tremendously. Yeah, yeah and you got to yeah. see some incredible things through that, so. Wow, that, that perspective, is, especially in a world where I would think a lot of coaches would feel like my job is to be
1: successful as a coach. My job is to win games. It's to win games. That's but, all.
0: But you were able to see your job is to really serve these folks yeah. and make them best. Yes. Yeah.
1: And I thought if we helped everybody be the best they could be and helped them grow as players, but helped them grow as men and talked about unity and togetherness and service and all that, that we would win games because yeah. we'd have this great momentum of a group. Yeah. Uh, that would be hard to, to stop. Yeah. And so I, I approached it maybe from the back end instead of saying, okay, I've got to win games, so let's do A, B, C, and D. No, Let's do all this and make the best team that we can have. And yeah. you know what we're going to win games. You
0: so. want to win people,
1: Yeah and then first.
0: Win games. Wow. Well, I mean speak, with that, speaking of, of unity, um, you know, the season that we find ourselves in when it comes to the discussion around racial inequality that's going on in our nation. Very important conversation. I, I just thought it's amazing God's timing that we'd be able to have a conversation like this. Because I, I so wanted to hear and listen to your heart regarding what's, what's going on in our nation right now. And you know, People talk Father, to me all
1: the time in these last few weeks. I've never seen anything like this before. And I said, well, you're not old enough. (laughs) I remember sitting with my dad in 1968, I was 12 years old and uh, Dr. Martin Luther King had just been assassinated and there's fires going on all over the country. And um, I'm thinking, man, this, we're never gonna recover. And asking my dad, what is this all about? And my dad telling me as a 12 year old, there are people who look at the world differently and they may not like you because of something that has nothing to do with you. It's something to do with them. But in our house, we aren't gonna do that. We don't care how other people treat you. We don't care what everybody else is doing. This is how we're gonna do it in the Dungey household. And so he explained what was going on, and he explained about racial prejudice and different things, and you know, people looking at things differently. But he said it's got to start with you, and it's got to start with us. And what are we going to do to make things better? And it can't always be based on what everyone else is doing. And so that's what I tell people now. Um, people ask, what What can I do? Uh, and that's you know. it it starts I I love what Jesus told the disciples you know go tell people about me start in Jerusalem then go to Judea and then Samaria and then to the ends of the earth but we got to start at home at home At home. and that's you talk about the Father's heart I'm so uh, of all the things my dad told me a lot of things that I, I remember yeah but that was one of the best things that he ever said that hey you know what we're gonna treat people the right way the way the Bible says no matter how they think about you. Um,
0: Which probably wasn't always easy.
1: It's not an easy thing to do. It's not, but when you realize it's what God wants you to do and it's the right thing to do and that's how you're going to win people um, and and change people's minds by how you treat them, not by how they treat you, um, then it it makes a difference.
0: Would there be a, a hope that you would have that would come out of the the struggles that we're seeing around us? I
1: hope this turns people to Christ. I really do. I I hope people say, I don't know how we're going to get better as a country. I don't see an answer to this. And people realize it's not going to be by electing a different mayor or a different governor or a different president. It's not going to be by passing different laws that all of a sudden everything's going to be fine. Mm. Uh, It's not going to be by retaking the streets and law and order some of the things that you hear it's going to be by changing hearts by having people say you know we're we're not living up to what the bible says and i think it's got to start at the church i think it's got to start with us and we've got to think what would jesus do if he was here would he just say don't worry about any of this that's going on around us just make sure you're as pure as you can be and that you're honoring the lord and That's all that counts. I I don't think he would say that. I think he would say, no, we've got to go to all the world and tell people about me.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: and included in that is the love for every individual. Everyone, Samaria.
0: Regardless, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Not just where you live, not just where it's comfortable, and not just the ends of the earth, that we don't know where that is, but no, go to Samaria. Those people that we don't have a lot in common with, and you may not agree with everything that they do, but go there and tell them about me
0: yeah.
1: and show them. More importantly, show them about me. Show them what I'm all about.
0: Yeah. You, you walk in that so well, watching you do that. You know, just the, the, there's, a, there's a humility to you that has always been impressive to me. I know it's weird to be called humble because it's like, oh, well, I really am, you know? <laughs> but you talk
1: about the, the heart of a father. I mean, that's another thing I learned from my dad. Uh, and my mom, but my dad was, uh, my dad was a Tuskegee airman. Wow. I never knew it until his funeral. Really? One of his friends who was speaking at the funeral told us, um, my dad talked about flying in world war II, but never, You're kidding. yeah, never mentioned being in the Tuskegee airman. My dad was one of the first African-American PhDs in, in Michigan. Never talked about it. Uh, Lovey Smith, who's a good friend of mine and coached with me for a long time, and used to sit with my dad every Friday at practice. He said, "I'd never heard anybody call your dad Dr. Dungey." And I said, That's "Probably because he didn't call himself that. Yeah. You know, he he yeah. just it wasn't important yeah. to him. Wow. Uh, but he modeled that wow. that humility and um, mm-hmm. not thinking more highly of yourself than you should." And so when you see it in you know, someone else, it's, it's different than that when people say, well, be humble. Don't, don't be brash or whatever. When it's modeled, you say, yeah, I, w- I want to be like my dad. Wow. That's amazing.
0: Speaking of dads, uh, you're a dad. <laughs> and, and a really good dad, um, but talk about the father's heart and how that has impacted your family because your family isn't, not all families look exactly like yours. Maybe you can tell
1: us about that a little bit. My wife is a people person, a children person, and uh, we've been married 38 years, Lauren and I have. Congrats. And thank you. But we have 11 children all together. Um,
0: that's quite a few. <laughs> that's I'd quite say few. it's up there, yeah. Once yeah. you're in the double digits, I'd say you're getting somewhere.
1: Our oldest <laughs> daughter is 35. We have a four year old daughter. We've got nine in between that, uh, all ages, uh, many of them adopted. And it's just something that my wife really, when she thinks of family, that's what she thinks of. So being a dad to that many kids and trying to take my, my father's notes and how do you be effective to every one of them and know what is going to help them be the best they can be. It's It's been a challenge, but it's, it's been fun. and It's been rewarding.
0: Yeah. I know you guys have also done some writing, some books when it comes, to, you actually gave us one. It was so kind of you, uh, the children's books and, and that has, some of it is about the, the heart of adoption. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah. My wife, Lauren. Um, Really, when I was coaching, they the wives used to read to elementary school students. It was kind of a group project for the, the ladies, and they loved it, but Lauren said, there are not a lot of books that we can read that, um, first of all, tell a good message, and that have diverse characters in there that these schools were going to, that they would have children in the books that look like them. It's just so hard to find. So maybe we could write something that would have a message from the Lord that would have fun pictures but would be diverse characters too so that we kind of took off on that we wrote a lot of things about friendship and love and patience and serving others and sharing all the kids ideas that they would want to hear about but then lauren wanted to do one on adoption and on god's hand in all of that and god's hand in our lives so um, we we did one and it was it was really kind of neat.
0: Yeah, they're beautiful books.
1: Well, thank you, yeah. thank you. Yeah, we've enjoyed doing them and enjoyed uh, talking about different subjects that um, you could read a book with your child and have a conversation later on. Well, do you know what that meant about sharing? Do you know what that meant about uh, God loving you no matter what? God bringing you into His family. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's so great okay one last bonus question wasn't uh wasn't on the list but but i'm just curious and you don't have to answer if you don't want to <laughs> um what would you hope your kids would say about you as their
1: dad i would hope my kids would say the same thing i say about my dad man i'm, I'm glad he was my dad and i learned so much from him and i it means more to me now at 64 than it did at 4 mm-hmm. or 6 because it makes sense now mm-hmm. and uh, i always listened i didn't always do what my dad said but i do more of what my dad said now <laughs> than i did then and if my kids <laughs> say kind of that, it yeah. Into a bit, that? Yeah. yeah if if my my kids say that later on man i'm i'm glad he was my dad and I, and I learned a lot and I do do the things that he, he talked about doing. That would be awesome. That'd be awesome.
0: Thank you for, for spending this time today. I know that, that uh, we would, I, I knew that we would have a great experience talking to you, hearing the Father's heart through you. Uh, thank you for taking the time to, to share that with us. I, I know we will walk away better for it. And uh, we just appreciate you, we honor you and your family. And uh, we look forward to seeing you real soon, friend.
1: Thank you, Aaron.
0: So Romans 8, uh, 15 to 17 says this, For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. God calls us sons and daughters. That means we are loved, we are wanted by Him, but life has a way of mixing that message up the great preacher of the 19th century, Fred Craddock, he tells this story. He was on vacation with his wife in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. They were just having a nice dinner out together on this beautiful evening. And while they were waiting for their meal, they noticed this white-haired distinguished gentleman kind of moving through the table saying hi to the people that he knew. And they watched him and they said to each other, well I hope he doesn't come over here. We're just trying to have time together. But the man did come by their table. And he said, where are you folks from? Well, we're from Oklahoma, Craddock replied. Splendid state, I hear, although I've never been there myself. What do you do for a living? He said, I teach homiletics at the graduate seminary of Phillips University. Oh, you teach preachers, the white-haired gentleman said. Well, I've got a story then I want to tell you. And with that, he pulled up a chair and sat down at the table with Craddock and his wife. Now Craddock was thinking, great, everybody's got a preacher story. Here comes another one. And this is what the man said. He said, my name is Ben Hooper. I was born not far from here, just across those mountains. He said, my mother wasn't married when I was born, so I had a hard time growing up in life. My classmates had a name for me, and it wasn't a very nice name. At times, I'd go off by myself at recess because their taunts they they cut me so deeply. What was worse for me was going downtown on Saturday afternoon and feeling like everyone was watching me like they're all wondering who my real father was. He said when I was about 12 years old a new preacher came to town came to our church and so me I went to church but I would always come in late and try to leave early but one day the preacher said the benediction so fast I just got caught up with walked out with the crowd he said I could feel every eye on me and just about that time I felt a big hand on my shoulder I looked up and the preacher was looking right at me who are you whose boy are you he said I felt that weight come upon me again like a black cloud Even the preacher was about to put me down. But as he looked down at me and studied my face, this smile came across him, almost a smile of recognition. Wait a minute, he said. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. You're a child of God. And with that, he slapped me on the shoulder and said, boy, you've got a great inheritance. Now go get it." The man looked across the table at Fred Craddock and said, that was the most important single sentence anyone ever said to me. With that, he smiled and he shook hands with Craddock and his wife and then went to another table to greet some old friends. And it was then that Fred Craddock remembered where he had heard that name before. Ben Hooper was the 31st elected governor of the state. Of Tennessee. It would seem that he took that preacher at his word and he refused to let his earthly circumstances keep him from his heavenly calling. See, regardless of your history, your Heavenly Father and what your Heavenly Father was like, whether he was a hero or a villain or some strange combination of the two, what we get to remember is you are first and foremost a child of God. You are beloved, and in Christ you bear that family resemblance. So remember to go and get your inheritance, and remember what the Father says about you today as He reminds you who and whose you are.